0: Amos chapter 6. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations, to whom the house of Israel comes, pass over to Kalna and see, and from there go down to Hamath the Great, and then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor, I hate the pride of Jacob. I hate his strongholds. And I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. These next verses 9 and 10, in, in in a really clear chapter, nobody really quite knows what to do with verses 9 and 10, if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, is there still anyone with you? He shall say no. And he shall say silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. I think the best reading of these verses, Amos is looking ahead to judgment has come. The Assyrians have rolled into town and the, the people are under siege. They are dying in siege warfare. Ten men reduced to one in the house. And knowledge of God is so far gone from these people. Verse 10, we must not mention the name of the Lord. Here's the judgment, verse 11. For behold, the Lord commands... the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plough there with oxen? You might have a little footnote beside the word there in verse 12. Does one plough the sea? Perhaps, maybe that's what the word is. Does one plough the sea with oxen? No, of course not. You never send horses running up a cliff face, do you? You don't plough the ocean with your cattle? And yet you have turned justice into poison. Things that we would never do and could never do. You have done it. You have taken justice and turned it into poison. You've turned the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. Bitter fruit. You who rejoice in Debar, the place that means nothing. You rejoice in it. You who say, have we not by our own strength captured Karanaim for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation. O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. And they shall oppress you from Lebo Hamath to the brook of the Arabah, from the north to the very south. Amen. Is there anything more incredible to a religious people that their religion exposes them to the wrath of God? Those are words I read this week. Is there anything more incredible, more surprising? Is there anything more shocking to people who call themselves religious that the practice of their religion should be the very thing that makes God angry? Such a shock, isn't it? The The whole point of being religious, of course, is to be near God. to to know God, to love Him, to be able to say that God is for us, not against us. But to find that in the end, it was our very drawing near, our drawing near to Him that turned Him against us. Incredible. We're going to look at Amos 6 this morning as a way of summarizing where we've got to in this whole book so far, this is a pause morning, a tick stock morning, but it is still hard to hear morning for there is something right at the heart of this chapter. And so right at the heart of Amos's book, his whole prophecy is here this morning in two verses, something right at the heart of it that God is saying to us that he hates. God hates this. And for religious people, that is who Amos is speaking to. Speaking to you, to me. There is a sense in which Amos is, Amos is not the kind of book you should be on a street corner reading out through a megaphone to the world. Yes, of course they need to hear it, but it's in here to us God is speaking to his people. It's interesting, isn't it, that the world around us so often says, you you Christian people, you are so judgmental. You're always telling other people they're sinners. You you, you look down on us. You're the good living people. And we can so easily slip into that way of thinking, can't we? We, we? We watch the news, all the terrible things that we've seen on our TV screens these past weeks. Things that we pray about together here in church. And, and we think to ourselves, yes, those things out there, that is what will draw God's fire. That, that is what makes him angry. There is what he hates. And it's true. Those things do draw his fire. And Amos says, ah, yes, but here is what you need to know, friends. Chapter 6, verse 8. I abhor the pride of Jacob. The pride of Jacob. What is the root of every sin in every place at every time in every era of world history? What is at the root of it? When Eve reached for the fruit and when she bowed to the serpent and when she gave some to Adam and Adam ate, what was the sin? Pride. Pride. Me first. You second God. Me first, you second. Your your word second. Your law second, your gospel second, your world second, your people second. 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 Second me first. First. Ah, says Amos, here is what God hates. Pride, yes, he hates pride, but never more violently than when he finds it among his people. Oh, that is worse than the world's sin. Verses 7 and 8 this morning are the center of all that is happening here. It is all to do with pride. I want to show you three things this morning that pride does. Three things. Number one, pride creates a false sense of security. Pride creates a false sense of security. It's a chapter all about security, isn't it? Look at verse 1. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. To those who feel, what does it say? Secure on the mountain of And Look at the picture in verses 4 and 5. Like I said when I was reading it, some of these verses are really strange and hard to understand. But verses 4 and 5 are obvious, aren't they? You don't need a preacher to explain it to you. We get it. These are not days of recession, are they? These are people who have everything. They live in the best houses. They have the best chefs. They are at rest. They are at peace, at ease. These are people who are looking after their bodies with the best of foods, the best beds to sleep in at night, the best drink, the best cologne. And and they are literally drinking it by the pitcher full, verse 6. Do you know what most of all these people have? They just had, verse 5, they had free time on their hands. I think that's what money buys you, doesn't it? Not, money buys you power, of course, and influence, but money buys you free time. It's always someone else to do the things that need to be done. You can just watch all the TV shows you want in the world. You don't have to work. You've got your own studio, verse 5, you're just fiddling around on the keyboard all day long. Time for leisure. John Wesley said that a person should amass as much wealth as honesty, integrity, diligence, and brotherly love would permit. Amass as much wealth as honesty, integrity, diligence, and brotherly love allows you to amass. And friends, I think that's right. If you are in the money-making business, or you're, you're thinking about what to do with your life and what kind of job to get, never ever think the Bible is anti-money. It is not. Go and get rich, friends. Amass as much wealth as honesty, integrity, diligence, and brotherly love permits you to do. Because here's the thing. If you keep all of those four things, four square center in your life, then no matter how much wealth you ever amass, other people will end up seeing much more of it than you do. Here's what Wesley also said. For the Christian, all our money is God's. The only issue is how much of God's money are we going to spend on ourselves? One of the things that pride does is it creates a false sense of security with your wealth. Isn't that true? You you forget it's not yours. Some of you know I've been reading Barack Obama's first volume of his autobiography, A Promised Land, and I forgot how as he came to power in 2008, of course, we were in a a global financial crisis. So far, the, 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 the book is all about How is he going to fix this? 2008, how is he going to put the world right again financially? And the thing that comes through page after page after page is the sheer shock of the wealthy at losing their riches. In America, the subprime mortgage market collapses. People who are more more wealthy than we could ever imagine overnight lose everything. Pride of wealth creates false sense of security, doesn't it? You forget that it is not yours. It can be taken from you at any moment. Whoever is stronger can take it from you. And here, something happens that says to these people, your days of wealth and plenty are going to end. These people's wealth was a gift from God and the very best they should have done with it was to give it back to God and instead what they did was they spent it on themselves. You know, money is not the root of all evil, friends. It is not. The love of money is the root of all evil. And one way to discover where you are with your heart and pride, one way to discover whether God is very, very big and you are very, very small, to discover whether God is very, very high, and you are very, very lowly, is to look at what you are doing with your money. For here is the bottom line, simple truth. If we think it's ours, and we have to work out how much we can afford to give to God, then we trust ourselves and our wealth more than we trust Him. But if you think... Your money is his and you simply have to work out how much you can keep for yourself because it's his. Then you trust him more than your money on his on his deathbed. Martin Luther said, we are all beggars. This is true. We are all beggars. Look at the the people in verse four. Do they look like beggars? No, the the orientation of the humble heart is away from what I have and instead to what I can give. I live with hands outstretched, hands that are open, not closed. You know, somebody has said the, the world in which we live is not just the opponent of faith. It is the seductress of faith. The world not only punishes us for following Christ, it panders to us, tempting us gently away from Jesus. The devil does not care either way. He will use harshness or soft seduction so long as we love Christ less and less. What is the, what is the false sense of security here? What's money doing to these Israelites? Verse 6 They drink wine in bowls, they anoint themselves with the finest oils but they are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. They are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. You know, I think that use of the word Joseph is really significant. It's not just talking about one person. It's, that it's a, a way of symbolizing God's people, that the house of Joseph. But do you know why I think Amos does it? Do you remember Joseph's brothers? After they put him in the pit, we know the story in Genesis, they, they land him in the pit, and later on the brothers recognize who he is. Do you know what they say? They say, we are guilty concerning our brothers. We saw the distress of his soul and we did not listen. We looked him in the eye as he begged us for his life and we did not listen. We did not care. What's happening in verse 6? Some people are lying on beds of ivory while God's people are in ruins. Some people have everything, some people have nothing. The privileges these people have is not leading them to God on bended knee, is it? No, it's made them complacent about their care for others. They just don't care that the house is falling down so long as their own bed is warm. Do you remember when Queen Marie Antoinette's famished peasants came to Paris? They begged for bread... What is she reputed to have said? If they have no bread, then let them eat cake. And that's the attitude here of some of God's people, leaders among God's people, to the rest of God's people. And God is saying to them, Your security on your leather couches is false, it is only an illusion. Look at verse 3. You're just putting off, putting far away the day of disaster, but it's coming. Look at verse 7. They shall now be the first of those who go into exile. Verse 8. I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. Verse 14. I will raise up against you a nation. O house of Israel. Judgment is coming. See, here's the second thing to see. Pride creates a false sense of security. Number two, pride always removes belief in judgment. Pride always removes a belief in judgment. Here in Amos' day, God is about to send the Assyrians. That's who he's talking about in verse 14. They can't hear them or see them, but the hooves are coming. That's the sign over the hills in the distance. There is an invading army coming over the hill. And in any day, friends, God can bring the markets crashing down. Just like that, it can happen in a blink of an eye and no one can see it coming. And if our hopes in our world are tied to our savings, tied to the dollar, then all of it can end in a moment. Friends, the Lord, Amos is saying, the Lord hates, he hates it. When people in his world use the wealth he has given to build steps up to a throne for themselves rather than to him. What God sees is the little people that he made putting God way down here and putting themselves way up there. And judgment is coming. Judgment is God's way of making the switch, of turning the tables. I am high, God says, and if you think you are high, I am going to bring you low. And if you think you are first, I am going to make you last. See, I think one of the marks of pride is a loss of all proportion, isn't it? A loss of all perspective. Pride makes you think you're first. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. How does he describe them? The notable men of the first of the nations. The top brass, the elite, the, these are the ruling classes, the, the people that just always seem to make it in the world and that seem to have the world at their feet. If you think you're like that, Amos is saying, then you have lost perspective on yourself. You're, you've lost all proportion. That's what's happening here. This little nation. Thinks it is amazing. I wonder if it's something about small nations. I grew up in Northern Ireland. A small place. Friends from Northern Ireland would tell you, we know what it is like to be completely convinced it is the center of the universe. There's something about it, isn't there? The the, the history, the, the, the emotion, the things that make you think we are special. Amos is trying to get them to see that they've lost perspective. Look at verse 2. Pass over to Calnate and see there. Go to Hamath the Great, down to Gath of the Philistines. You're not better than those kings. Are you really as big as them? Okay, says God, I'll treat you like that. If you think you're first, verse 1. If you think you're first, then verse 7. Here's how you can be first. They shall now be the first of those who go into exile. Brothers and sisters, when the Lord Jesus said that the first shall be last, he was not introducing a whole new ethic that had never been heard of before. When Jesus said, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over those under them, that they have absolute authority, they make sure that the people under them know that they're under them and that they're on top. But not so with you. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Do you know when Jesus said that, what was he doing? Preaching the Old Testament. Preaching a book like Amos. It was not new. For in the end, brothers and sisters, judgment is coming. A switch is coming when those who have nothing but Jesus will one day find they have everything because they have him. Ushered into a world of delight forever. And those who have everything but Jesus will have everything taken away. I want us just to see this morning that Amos chapter 6 is directed specifically to those who lead. It's important to note that, isn't it? The notable men of the first of the nations. It's people with power. People with authority among God's people. I wonder in our day and age if being a leader, the the significance of it, the, the, the requirements of it, perhaps more important than ever in terms of what we've seen, sadly, over the last years of our Christian leaders. Listen to Alec Mateer. This passage speaks, first of all, to leaders, and leaders never live or die to themselves. In a particular sense, they mold the destiny of those whom they lead. They involve others in the shape of their leadership. And just as if if their leadership comes under the blessing of God, they are never blessed alone, but bring blessing to those who follow him, So also, if their leadership commands his wrath, they never go to their doom alone. Look at verse 11. When the great house is smitten into fragments, so too the little house equally is broken into bits. Brothers and sisters, many of us within this fellowship in different ways lead. Elders lead, trustees lead, deacons lead, Sunday school teachers, youth group leaders. Amos chapter 6 says, God hates it when leaders forget what leadership is for. It is not for you, the leader, but for others. All for the sake of others. I always remember hearing John Piper say when he told his dad he wanted to be a preacher. And he was shocked. He thought his dad would say how proud he was, how, how wonderful He said, Dad, I want to be a preacher. And his dad said, well then, son, prepare to be a janitor too. You you will do years in, he he said to his son, you will do years of first in, last out. That's what it means. can, Can I say this morning, friends, it is not just by any measure. It is not just me that does that here. I was not first in this morning. But some of our other leaders were. Many of you know what that means, the cost of it. First in, to serve. Last out, because of serving. It is the way of the cross and it is the way of the Lord Jesus. It is the way of leading. For there is no leading, friends, that leads you to lights and to celebrity and to a platform and to influence. If you are walking the way of the cross... Remember last Sunday evening, we were looking at Mark's gospel. I said, speaking Jesus' message will earn you Jesus' fate. And friends, for all of us, believing Jesus' message will earn you Jesus' fate. Maybe not persecution, but it will bring you death, won't it? Death to self. Death to pride, the constant daily death to self that puts other people first, that cares for the weak and the needy and the downcast and the downtrodden. And so look, here's the final thing. Number three, pride reveals ignorance of the living God. Pride always reveals where we are with God and how clearly we see Him or how, how not clearly we see Him. Pride always reveals ignorance of the living God. Do you know why God hates pride? Do you know why he hates it among his people? Because it shows we don't know him. We don't trust him. The reason we don't trust him is because we don't see him clearly. Look at verse 8. This is really beautiful. The Lord God has sworn by himself... Declares the Lord the God of hosts. We probably pass over that really quickly, don't we, to get to the strong language about hating the pride of Jacob. But look at these, look at that again. The Lord God has sworn by himself. So the, the, the day comes when you have to go to court and you raise one hand, don't you, in court, and you place the other hand. What do you place it on? A Bible. And why do we do that? It's because we're saying that there is something greater than me as a way of saying that, look, if if what I'm about to say in this courtroom is wrong, let this higher authority that I have put my hand on be my judge. It's a way of putting yourself under oath, isn't it? It's why you put put your hand on something higher than you to bind yourself to that higher power. They will be my judge if I am wrong. When God wants to do that, friends, what you and I do in a courtroom, when it's God's turn to speak and he wants to bind himself to something, what what does he put his hand on? When he wants to make an oath and make the oath in such a way that it's so serious that he wants us to know how serious it is, who does he swear by? Himself. There, There is no higher power. God can't put his hand on something higher than him. Who does ultimate truth use as the standard of ultimate truth? Himself. And this is a beautiful way of Amos saying, look, the essence of pride is self-exaltation. It is making yourself higher and higher and higher and being your own authority on everything. But there is only one absolute authority. There is only one exalted being. God. You know, legend has it, I say it's legend because I'm not sure if this is true, but uh, I read this recently that um, legend has it that at his inauguration as president, Donald Trump wanted to be sworn in by placing his hand on a copy of one of his own books, The Art of the Deal. I don't know if that's true. It should be true. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? But isn't isn't it an incredible example of It's easy easy to make fun of Donald Trump, isn't it? But isn't that an incredible example of what we all do with our pride? I'm not going to swear by something higher than me. I'm all I need. I'm the ultimate guide. When Amos says God hates pride... Friends, it means he loves the opposite. We know that, don't we, about the Bible. When God forbids one thing, he commands the opposite. When he says he loves one thing, it means he hates the opposite. When Amos says God hates pride, it means he loves humility. He loves people who know that they're not really big people. People who have everything properly in perspective. Oh, friends, a life of Christian character and depth and maturity, it it comes about, doesn't it, through a long, painful process of unselfing yourself. An increased awareness and devotion to somebody better than me, somebody higher than me, more authoritative than me, someone more good than me, someone stronger than me. I want to urge you to see this morning that the root of every problem that ails you, whatever you've brought with you this morning, The illness that is poisoning the well of your relationships with other people. Whatever it is, the root of it is pride. Me first ism. That is my disease. And if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to be different, here is what you need to do this morning. See more and more of God. You don't beat pride by trying hard to be humble. You don't beat pride by following a three-point action plan. You kill pride at its root by seeing more and more of who God is. There is someone who is the highest person in the universe. There is no one higher, no one higher for him to swear by. And what it means is that every single day of my life, I climb down off the throne And I follow what he says is right and true. I look at him and the more I look, the more amazed I am that the one who was in very essence God, the one who had full equality with God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, what did he do? He emptied himself and took the form of a servant and he humbled himself. Isn't that astonishing the god in verse eight who swears by himself because there is no one no one higher in the lord jesus his son he humbled himself are there any more astonishing three words in all the bible than that he humbled himself here i am in that argument with you in that the, the the blood is boiling, the temperature's is raised, and we're arguing about something. And, oh, I am so right, and you are so wrong. My way, please. And I will not humble myself. The Apostle Paul says, oh, that's interesting. The creator of the universe humbled himself. And you won't do it? Incredible. Oh, God hates pride, friends. It ruins a man. It ruins a woman. It can destroy a church. Pride cripples whole nations. Pride sends generations to hell. And it is so, so wrong because it displays such confidence in us. and So much ignorance about who God is. Is there anything more incredible to a religious people than that their religion should expose them to the wrath of God. And so we're going to sing together, Have mercy, Lord. Who can sound the depths of mercy in the Father heart of God? For there is a man of sorrows, who for sinners shed his blood. He can heal the wounds of nations. He can wash the guilty clean. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, Have mercy, Lord. Let's sing.